thinking there. Amen. If if new songs make you think, that's a good thing. Amen. If you have to, and that's not a new song, by the way. Most, of, matter of fact, one of those is from the late 1600s, if I remember right. But the purpose of congregational singing is not to repeat things that we're comfortable with and familiar with and can sing without thinking. The <laughs> purpose of congregational singing is to sing with thinking on purpose. Amen. So Matthew chapter 5, we're going to continue in our series in the Beatitudes in building a Christian life that will withstand or building a life that can withstand the storms of life. So Matthew chapter 5, begin reading in verse 1. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, this is Jesus, he It worked fine all during Sunday school. I just love how that worked. Okay, there we go. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, apparently again this is the disciples, especially because of the colon at the end of verse 1, teaches the disciples, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Verse 7 Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for the day, for your teaching. Lord, I would ask that you'd help us this morning as we, as we talk about this mercy. And Lord, you'd give us wisdom and power and clarity and Lord, help those who are hearing to, to listen and think and, and to open their hearts up to what you'd speak to them. And we'll thank you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I want to remind you again, we're talking about what Jesus describes at the end of this sermon uh, as a house. Okay, he used the illustration of a house. And I'm going to keep this in our heads because we need to keep this, we need to, we need to remember that, that this, what we're talking about in these few verses, as a matter of fact, we could technically go from the beginning of Matthew 5 and the Beatitudes and then go to the, about the middle of chapter 5, and from there on is all the Beatitudes uh, fleshed out. And we're going we're gonna to see that here in a little bit. They're fleshed out in more, more detail. So we're, we're not just going to hear these once. We're going to hear them twice as we walk back through them again. But he's talking about a Christian life. He's talking to the disciples. And again, I'll remind you, um, I'm, I'm, I, I did get straight A's in English and grammar, but it's been a few years. But I do remember what a colon is. And after a colon is more details. It's either a list, a list of what is talking about, you know, your grocery list is this, colon. So nowadays, that grocery list is, maybe I can get it and maybe I can't. We'll see, but anyways. So, 
And this is the same. So verse 1, he, so his disciples come unto him. Okay, and his disciples, these are the ones he's teaching, his disciples, he opened his mouth, taught them, those disciples, saying. And of course, again, at the end, he's talking about the house. So we talked about the foundation. Pour in spirit. Pour in spirit. And it says that they are citizens of heaven. They belong in heaven. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's where they belong. It's, it's, we're talking about salvation. Those who, and again, the pour in spirit is not, is not talking about uh, having a bad spirit or being weak in spirit. The idea there of being poor is that it is a poor person, okay? It is one who, it's, a, it's one who uh, sits alongside the road begging. It's a, it's a humble person. It's literally poor in spirit. We would use the word humble or humility. That's the, the, the idea for it. So it's not talking about poor as in lack of. It's talking about poor as a noun, not as a definition necessarily. So, so it's a poor person, somebody who is humble before God. And it says, of course, you're gonna, you, every Christian life has got to begin with kneeling before a holy God. I mean, in salvation and in the rest of your whole life, if, you, if the moment a believer no longer bows before God as an almighty holy God is the exact moment he becomes back on the throne himself and God gets kicked off. All of a Christian's life must be in humility. Bow before God. He, he finds himself on his knees before a holy God. I don't want to spend too much time here because we need to keep rolling. But he begins at poor in spirit, humbled, humbled. And it says, these are the people that belong in heaven. It says, on top of that, remember we talked about that was the dirt work and foundation. And then we're going to start the first floor. And the first floor is attitude. Remember that? Now that's my, the way I see it. The first floor is attitude. And that the first one we looked at there again, obviously, was verse 4. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Comforted. So when a person bows before a holy God and they see God, like Isaiah talks about, and he says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and eventually it led him to say, woe is me. I see God, and now that I see God, I realize I don't belong in his presence. And he says, and this is Isaiah, the prophet of God. Chosen by God to be a prophet to Israel. And he says, I am a man of unclean lips. I come from a people of unclean lips. It's just all bad, bad, bad. I, and he, he finds himself, oh my goodness. And that's what that means, mourning. It's not talking about just someone who's weeping or constantly sees themselves as a failure. It's someone who sees themselves as they are, a sinner. They recognize that I am not what I should be. God is here and I am not God. I am... And, he, and it says that these, these people, what? What does it say? Verse 4, I love it. It says a great verse. I'm, Lord, I'm such a sinner. They shall be comforted. That's a wonderful promise. So that word comfort, again, a reminder, it's the word paraclete, which is just a few letters short of parakletos, which is the, the comforter, the Holy Spirit. It's the name for the Holy Spirit. Those that bow before God, those that, those that can bow before God and say, God, I am not what I should be, and they see God high and lifted up, God in the form of the Holy Spirit becomes their constant companion. Wow, that's just a great thing. One who walks beside. And that person that mourns will find, will find that God is with the mourner. He loves the mourner, the one that can see God for who he is and recognize their own position. And then, and then on, that's the first, the first half of that first floor. The second half of that first floor of attitude we looked at was verse 5. Blessed are the meek. Meek. And again, not weak. Not the, not the way the world defines meekness as docile and easily pushed over. That's not the Bible word for meek by any stretch. 
Again, the word, the word for meek in the Bible is, a, is like a horse, tons of power under the control of a bridle and a master. So it's lots of power, but it's under another's control. So it's, it's us learning. As one of the things I'm going to choose to do as a, as a person is I'm going to choose to take my who I am and it's going to be placed under his control. When you recognize you got a good leader, isn't that kind of a good thing to follow him? I mean, you know, all through, like, we talk about wars and we talk about, you know, the... Uh, I mean, I, I have heard and talked to men in the, some of the old men from World War II and some of that talk about that they had no respect for their, for their COs or you know, for the lieutenant that was leading and they, how that they, were, they were scared to death they were going to lead them into, a, into just make them all die. And, and even to the point of sometimes hearing he's going to be the first casualty. Why? Because they had no respect for that leadership. Is God a good leader? Is there any better leader than God? Man, when you choose to place yourself under God's control and you kneel before God and you mourn recognizing I'll never be as good as what I should be to, to meet, be in the presence of God and then God chooses to be with me and then I say, okay God, if there's anything you can do with me, here I am. And what does it say? It says, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Remember we looked at that word earth? And it's not talking about the whole world, the cosmos. It literally is a reference to the promised land. It's a, it's a reference to the dirt, the promised dirt that the Israelites were going to get, saying that God has special, specific blessings for these people. They're not talking about cosmos. Jesus would have used the word cosmos. He did not. He would have used, there's a different word that talks about the whole planet. He did not use those words. He literally talked about, he uses the word earth. A specific word that for the Jews, that these disciples meant something very specific. The promised dirt, the promised land, the land of Canaan. That the people who will bow before God and say, God, if you'll just, if there's anything you can use in me, use me. God says, boy, have I got some victories for you. Have I got some promises for you. And so we're building this house, we're building this life that when the storms come, this house will stand the storm, you're not going to stop the storms. This whole idea that Christianity somehow sees a, you know, my dad always used to say, some people think they get saved and like the bills are going to stop coming in the mail. You know, I don't have to pay my taxes anymore and why would I have to pay the bills? No, the storms are storms on the planet. You can't stop them. They're going to happen. This is a cursed earth. But how you make it through the storms is the difference between the house that's built on a rock and the house that's built on a sand. And by the way, as a believer, you can build your life on the sand. That's who he's talking to, okay? So, you bow before a holy God. The first floor is attitude, attitude. And then we started looking at the second floor last week of action. Action, and there in verse 6 it says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. It's those who... They, they want to be used by God and then they see, they see what God has out for them. That They see Jesus and they want to be like Jesus. Remember we looked at Paul. Paul talking about, I follow after if I may, I may apprehend that for which I am apprehended. Lord, I want to be what you say I am. And I'm going to strive and follow after if I can take charge, if I could take some of that in my possession. Because one day we will, thank the Lord. When we get to heaven, it'll be all done. But Paul says... For, for my time down here, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I'm going to, I want to be, Lord, I want to be, I want to have righteousness in my life. I want to have 
good thoughts and good actions as a result of my life, but not mine. I want his. And he says it. I want God's righteousness. He says, you hunger and thirst after God's righteousness happening in your life, you will be filled. It's going to happen. I think a lot of, a lot of believers get right in, right in here, and it's where things start getting murky. Because we hear all these other religions talking about, well, you know, salvation by works, and, and we know that, you know, works ought to be a part of it. We're created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And then we start looking at ourselves instead of God. We say, well, I'm talented here, here, and here. And if you're here in Sunday school this morning, Paul said, I would much rather glory in my talents. Is that what he said? No, he said, I glory in my infirmities. I, I have dear preacher friends who honestly believe that if you think, if you've got a talent, like you're just really good at something, that's probably not what God wants to use you in. And it could be true. Because the, long, the longest time you work in your own talents, you trust self. But if you can place those talents under God's control, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Blessed those which are hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Okay, now we're going to move on to the <clears throat> second part of the second floor. So the first floor was poor in spirit foundation. I'm sorry, foundation was poor in spirit. First floor was attitude, mourn, and meek. And now we're in actions, hunger and thirst after righteousness. And this is, this is where we are today, the merciful, merciful. And I'm telling you, this is a, a even somewhat argued about passage, but I think it's fairly clear. As a matter of fact, I, I'm having a hard time understanding how can we don't understand. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Has anybody ever heard of the, the Galatians law of God for the world? And Idaho uses it strongly. Whatsoever a man soweth, when you plant potatoes, you get taters. When you plant tomatoes, tomatoes, you get maters. You hear what I'm saying? That's what this verse is saying. I'm telling you, people don't like it because they hear the word mercy and they automatically associate with salvation. That's not what this is talking about. He's talking to believers. We've already received mercy for salvation. We've already received mercy for our sin. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about daily, listen, what are we talking about? Daily living, a life that will withstand the storms of life. And I don't know if you know it or not, but Christians can lack mercy. Semi-quiet in the middle of all that. I think you all know what mercy means, right? I mean, you know, the, the general, we say, yes, it's compassion. True? It's a little bit more than compassion. Because we like to give compassion when we want to give compassion and when we feel touched. Come on. But Jesus showed compassion on people that frankly hated his guts. He showed mercy to them. That's, and that's mercy that we're supposed to have today. Mercy. It's showing compassion even on those who not only, are not, not only are they not showing it back to us, it's highly unlikely that they will. As a matter of fact, they're probably going to be the opposite of merciful. And we want to say, well, I don't have to deal with that. I can just walk away from people like that. 
Mm, no. Compassion. What, wouldn't we all be dead if that's what Jesus said? You know what? I'm just, I'm just going to walk away from all these people that are, that are not being nice to me. It's too bad for them. They just lost my presence. Thank the Lord that's not God. Merciful. And, um, this is really not complicated. Okay? Uh, let's just pause a minute because I think everybody here knows what mercy is. I don't think we have to spend a lot of time here. Uh, I'll use my old, my old adage, okay? Grace is getting something that we really don't deserve. And mercy is not getting what we really do deserve. Okay? But mercy is actually a step beyond that. It's not only not getting what we do deserve, but it's actually receiving compassion in the process. It's it's really hard to separate mercy and grace completely. You really can't. The two are tied, biblically. But mercy, I want you to just, let's look at our own lives a minute. I want you to honestly look at your own heart. And I'll use me for an example to an extent. Transparency is helpful, but not too much. When I look clearly at my life, okay, I grew up in church. I grew up in independent, fundamental, King, King James, missions, mind, and devil hating, you know, all that bubble, 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 bubble. My whole life, nine months before I was born, I was on drugs, drugged to church all the time. <clears throat> so I grew up in church, and I'm, I would talk, I've, I have talked to people who have been saved late in life that have had a, a horrid, um, sin-filled lasciviousness filled, even murder, and they look at me and they say, I would give anything if I could have had your life. And I, I, I don't understand what they mean. I don't. I mean, I get the concept, but I don't, I don't understand how, what they feel. Because what they think I am and what I know I am <laughs> are two vastly different things. You hear what I'm saying? If every person in this room is honest with themselves, and I'll just be honest with myself a little bit, the stuff that my mind can release sometimes, I think I'd be in good company with the devil. Okay, I see some heads going down. I think you all know. The daily struggle just with my own thoughts and my own heart are enough to shame me and wonder why the Lord couldn't have picked somebody else to do what I have to do. Surely there would, and don't, don't listen, don't, don't hear this as depression and loser me and all that stuff, but there are times when I look at, surely there would be a better dad for my little girl. Surely there could be a better husband for my wife. Surely there could be a better pastor for the church because I know who I am I see me I see me in honesty and as you see yourself in honesty and you wonder how could the Lord love us how could we receive from the Lord the things that we receive man surely listen you know what it should lead you to it shouldn't lead you to oh me 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 poor me poor me it should at some point it should be like Isaiah where you finally look up and you're like surely <laughs> I am beyond blessed to receive such mercy that I do not deserve. I have received, I'm just telling you, I'm just talking about Tim Knutson has received 
an unbelievable, gracious spirit of mercy. Why then, believers, now that the rubber meets the road, why then as believers, after receiving such mercy, are we so petty as to speak evil to our family? Why would we look at a man who is obviously hungry and probably hungry because of his own fault and walk the other direction? Why would we watch our brothers and sisters in Christ go through the storms of life and not do anything, anything, in our power to alleviate it. Has anybody ever, I, don't, don't raise your hand on this, but has anybody ever found yourself saying, well, I'll pray for you, and then you walk away knowing, did I really mean that? Am I really actually going to pray? Be warmed and filled. Why would I, as a person who has received forgiveness, merciful forgiveness, not turn to someone who has wronged me and given them forgiveness? Remember the story of the man who was in severe debt? The Lord tells the parable of the man's severe debt to his, to his boss, to his master. And he says, listen, you're going to pay me now or you're going to jail. Oh, please, please be merciful to me. Okay, I'll give you some more time. I'll give you some mercy. No, it's no big deal. And then he turns right around and does not show mercy to someone who owes him like, you know, 10 cents. <laughs> what is your debt to God? What's your debt to God? What's, your, what's the mercy debt that you owe to God? Thank the Lord Jesus paid that. But you still know it. Why, after receiving such mercy, would we not turn to our brethren? Well, I do show mercy. Uh huh. Yeah, to the people that you like, to your buddies. What about to the people that are a royal pain? What about to the people that just, the minute they walk through the door, your whole life turns into great, just grating? Their presence just physically irritates you. You all know exactly what I'm talking about. Why can't we show mercy? We, we, we don't even deserve to stand in the presence of, just to stand in the presence of God. What, you all know this. If we're going to look at deserving, none of us deserve to even stand outside of God's temple and wash the windows. There's nothing about us that deserves that. That's only because of Christ. Thank the Lord because of Christ. Why, after receiving such mercy, will we treat each other like dirt? Well, I got to protect me. Man, what if, we, what, what if Jesus would have said that right, right as they were taking him to the cross? Or as they reached back with the whip? Well, I'm not Jesus. No, I know that. I understand that. But that's what God has called us to. That's why Paul said, I follow after. Who's he following? doesn't mean we're ever perfect. But Jesus is talking about building a life that is able to stand when real trouble shows up. That's, 
you'll go look, you'll read the end of the passage, chapter 7, when you're done, when you're done with this. Go read the end of chapter 7. When real trouble shows up in life, and you all know what real trouble shows up, and it doesn't care how old you are. We look at young people sometimes and say, they don't know what trouble is, which is sometimes true, many times true, but not near often, not near always true. Everybody, you need to stay in, ask the Lord to help you stay in. Here's what the Lord says. If I have not shown mercy, why would I expect it? And we're not talking about mercy for salvation. We're already believers. We're already going to heaven. That, that's settled. That's a done deal. That, that, the, the mercy that takes us to heaven, that's a done deal. That's a done thing. Say, well, you're saying that God might not give us mercy if we don't give mercy? Well, there are a few verses that do seem to indicate stuff like that. Where would that be? We'll look at them here in a little bit. But the general reference is, in general, don't be surprised. Well, nobody ever, nobody ever gives me a break. That's probably because you're not giving anybody breaks. Well, I am giving people breaks. Everybody? Well, this world doesn't give breaks. No, what the Bible says there is, in life, a life that's going to that's withstand the storms of life, you need to be a person that that shows mercy to those even who, who really don't deserve it. And, of course, that's all of us. None of us really, but that's what God calls us to do. He says, people that show mercy, this is the promise of God. It, it, not talking about how life works. This is the promise of God. They shall obtain mercy. Does God, is God a liar? Does God keep his promises? Yeah. Does anybody here need a little bit of mercy in your life from some people? Have you shown mercy? Have you shown it? The word obtain there basically means to experience it in your life. That literally, it's like the word experience. You have to show mercy to experience mercy. That's what, that's how, I didn't say it. That's what God is saying. Don't get mad at me. That's what the verse says. Talking to believers. I don't like that. Well, I already have mercy. I shouldn't be expected to have to show more mercy. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be great if that's what God said? <laughs> we wouldn't have no 1 John 1, 9, would we? <laughs> I paid for your sins on the cross. Anything after that, I'm whooping you for. Once you got saved, I forgave all the stuff prior to that, but after that, if you're not good enough, sorry, you're just in big trouble. Not like God doesn't chastise his children, but when does he chastise? Children who are unrepentant, who won't repent. That's what it is. But this is all about mercy. This is all about daily life. Hmm. Now, turn to, let's just look at a few passages here. We're, almost, we're really almost done. Turn to Proverbs chapter 11, because we're just going to look at the general wisdom of it. Proverbs chapter 11. The whole, this, this whole chapter really kind of walks around this topic a little bit. Proverbs chapter 11. Go down to verse 17. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 17. The merciful man doeth good to his own soul, 
But he that is cruel troubleth his own flesh. Are you hearing? He that shows mercy will obtain mercy? That's what, that, that's what this passage is talking about. That's, exact, that's what this passage... Okay, so let me, let's just read another one. Go down to verse 27. Same thought. He that diligently seeketh good procureth favor. But he that seeketh mischief, it shall come unto him. Well, you know, I'm just a bit of a rabble-rouser. <laughs> well, then don't be surprised when people rabble-rouse your life. <laughs> well, I just don't understand, you know, I mean, I mean, you know, sure, I'm, I'm a little bit mischief, but why do I got to face all this, you know? Yeah, because if you give yourself to the flesh, you're going to get the results of the flesh. It's kind of like, duh. We know this stuff, don't we? And here's Jesus saying it quite plainly. Show mercy. Show mercy. You, you know when you have to show mercy? It's when you don't want to. <laughs> it's when you don't want to. It's when you, it's right on the edge of your tongue, like, I'm sick of this. I'm not putting up with this anymore. I'm going to say something. Is there a time for war? Yes. Unfortunately, yes. We do live in that world. But normally when we say, I'm going to say something, most of the time we already know we're not supposed to say something. We're supposed to put a lock on it, zip it up, and throw the key away, the whole bit. Everybody here? Okay. Now turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Another one. I think everybody knows this verse. Ephesians wasn't my Bible this morning. There it is. All right. Ephesians in chapter 4. Look at verse 32. Does everybody know this song? I teach it to the kids whenever I have kids' class. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Why? Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Huh. Show mercy. Why? Because you've been shown mercy. Receivers of mercy should be the first people to show mercy. What are we talking about here? This is, this is good. Believers, you need this. Why? Because storms are coming. Uh, you, you understand, the greater, the greater context... Storms are coming. Life. I'll be careful. I've got to use a word that's, the word I want to use right there may not be so appropriate for everyone. So, life stinks. There are times that life just stinks. And if you could do anything to have somebody else's life for a little while, you'd do it. <laughs> not have to remember some of that. You know, can we take that out of my head? Maybe you can hire a hypnotist to help me forget whatever happened. I'm telling you, there are things that happen in life that should not happen. That's wicked and evil in the world. There are storms. And not everybody's storms are the same, by the way. Different people go through different storms. I'm watching, I'm watching some friends of mine going through some storms, and I'm just on the back going... Glad those are his storms. Lord, please, 
please help him. I have no idea. What, I don't even know what to say to him. I really am praying for you. I love you. Is there anything I can do? And walk away going, I don't like my storms, but they're not that. <laughs> Listen, we don't, all, we don't all have the same storms. You know the whole story, there's always somebody that has it worse. That's not always true. Sometimes it is, you are the one having it the worst. Life can be wicked and awful. And here's Jesus saying, yeah, and here's the house you need to build as a believer. Here's the life you need to build as a believer so when those storms come through, you come out the other side and there's still a place of peace through the storm, safety in the storm. It doesn't stop the storm. It doesn't stop the windows from shaking, the the shutters from rattling, the doors from getting banged. It doesn't stop maybe having to replace a few shingles on the way out. But when it comes out the other side, your whole life's not laying in a heap on the floor. And I think everybody here knows exactly what I'm talking about. Because we all, if you've lived any kind of life whatsoever, you understand, if you've been through junior high, you know what it's like to feel like every stinking day, your whole life's you know, laying on the floor. Here's God saying, I've got a, I've got a house you can build for that. And here, here's, here's the, sec, here's the ha- second half of the floor of actions. Be merciful. So let's just go right back to our, our passage, or our Matthew chapter six, or Matthew chapter five, is where our passage is. Okay. I want you to go just a little bit further, and we'll probably end up preaching on this too. But I want you to go just a little further in Matthew chapter five. Okay. Look at verse twenty-three. Matthew chapter five, verse twenty-three. Therefore. If thou bring thy gift to the altar, and therefore rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. I want you to think about what's being said there. You got something going on between you and a brother? There's a problem going on? And you're going to come and like you're going to come and offer me some worship, or you're going to, you know, you're going to come talk to me like I'm God, and you're going to bring a gift, like you're going to bring me something special. He said, "But you got something going on between your brother." Stop. The implication is, I'm sorry, your gift may not be accepted. Why? Because you got something you need to take care of with the brother. Why don't you go take care of that thing with your brother, and then come back and fellowship here? can be restored. But until fellowship there, listen, until fellowship with your brother is not right, then we're going to have a problem. I just talked to a dear friend of mine the other day. They both grew up in the same church. Grew up in the same good families. And there was an issue. And the one brother went to the other brother says, Brother, you and I we're, we, we are fine. We walk together except for this one matter. And you're, you're, you're going after my church. And we're talking about like close. These guys are close. You're going after my church and now we have a problem. Why? Well, how in the world is the relationship with the Lord going to be okay when the relationship with two brothers aren't okay? You hear what I'm saying? It's amazing how we love, thank the Lord for forgiveness from God, but we take that for granted, or granite, however you choose to use that colloquialism. 
when we think that God's just going to keep giving us everyday blessings and we, we won't pass out any of that to our brothers. No, we, we've, we've broken a relationship with God when we have broken a relationship with one of our brothers in Christ. Amen. And for us to restore the broken relationship with God, it has to start with a restored relationship with the brother. And that might be nothing more than just allowing them to be whoever they're going to be, even if they're wrong, and just saying, well, I forgive you, and I'm asking you to forgive me, and the ball's in your court, but it's not going to be my problem. Not, not saying I'm walking away from it. I want to make sure I'm doing everything I can to make it right. If I've done everything I can, I, you know it's amazing how good-willed a lot of people are? When someone comes and they honestly want to make things right. Now, I understand I, I have family that never wanted to make things right, period. Ever. Not on your life, because they wanted to go back like 50 years and make some changes that can't be made. You can't change what happened 50 years ago, but you can change your reaction to it now. Mercy. 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 This is the second floor of that kind of a life. The, the, the floor of actions. Thing that need a, the thing that ought to be in a believer's life is a person who shows mercy to others who are not good because Christ has showed mercy to him. Father,